Well, thanks so much for joining us on our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that this message inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see that God is moving in your life. Thanks so much for joining us again, and God bless. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 to 22. Uh, it says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold, refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. God, we come to a, a, a portion of, of your word that for some is very daunting because just the title alone sends chills up our spines, revelation. But God, this is nothing to be afraid about. God, this is things that you want us to know. Revelation means the unveiling, God. And even in the letter to the churches, God, you are unveiling to us what we are supposed to do as a church. God, we see in this church that it was a lukewarm church. And God, as for the church at large, not just for this local church, but the church at large, God, I pray that we would be on fire for you, Jesus. That we wouldn't be lethargic in our faith, we wouldn't be lazy in sharing the gospel, but we would be zealous and do exactly what your word says and that we should repent because, God, we have messed up. The church has not done God, what you've called the church to do. So God, we ask that you would forgive your bride. And God, we just thank you that we can come here and we can hear from you and we can learn what it means to be the church that you've called us to be. God, we commit this time to you and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I heard the story about two sisters. Uh, one of the older sisters wanted to play uh, school with her younger sister. So eight-year-old Martha went up to five-year-old Jenny, uh, but five-year-old Jenny wasn't the least interested in thinking about school. Uh, but the older sister wouldn't take no for an answer. And finally, little five-year-old Jenny conceded and said, okay, I'll play. She then added, mark me absent. Wait for it. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is the attitude that many churches at large have adopted, is that they are absent from the biblical standards that God has set for them. They have gone off on their own way, no, no, no longer willing to participate in what God has actually called them to. 
And uh, sadly, many of the churches in our day and age have fallen into this category, which is the topic of the sermon. They've fallen into the woke church category. Now, woke, by definition, means to uh, be alert to injustice in society, especially racism. And we see this throughout our culture today. Our culture is very woke to what is happening around them. Black Lives Matter, LGBT, on and on and on. They are woke to what is happening around them. Social injustice is prevalent, yes, but the way they handle it is not the way that the church should handle it. We see riots. We see, we see all of these things that should not be taking place because, let's be honest, preferences get in the way of what we're really supposed to do. And so people are woke to that which is going on, but their wokeness is leading them to do vile things. You see shootings after shootings, you see riots after riots, you see protests after protests, and, and I'm all for peaceful protests, but when protests go south, it's no good. But unfortunately, being woke isn't just happening within our culture, it is happening within the church. It is happening within the bride of Christ. And when I say church, I'm not talking about this specific church. See, we're on a, a, a mission to please the Lord in, in all of our ways. And yes, we will fall short. We will make mistakes. But that is our aim. We want to stay grounded in God's word. When I say church, I'm talking about the American church at large. The Western church has messed up. See, we have, been, we have become more concerned with being politically correct than biblically correct. We have chucked the Bible out the window because we think politic, politics rule over God's word. Wrong. God's word has authority over everything. Not politics. If, any, if politics do anything, it's, it's messed things up. See, in the last year, we have seen more churches bow to the requests of government in regard to not meeting and to closing the doors of the church. We have seen so many churches still today still stay closed because they don't want to ruffle the feathers of government. But we're open. See, they're keeping the doors shut. And a lot of these mega church pastors who have, uh, who have said, we're not going to open our doors, have actually caused the rest of the churches, the smaller churches, to stumble in the process because they're not actually doing what Scripture clearly states for us to do, which is not neglect our meeting together. Hebrews 10.25, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. We see that right now. It's because they don't want to make government upset. But it says encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, the mandate to close the doors of the churches was from a stance of political control. And unfortunately, many churches fell into the man-pleasing trap. Rather than being, being obedient to the call of God for the church. So in this message, my desire is to show the characteristics of a woke church uh, and what God's desire is for the church. Uh, see, uh, the woke church is nothing new under the sun. Uh, Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun. A woke church has been going on for longer than we realize, and we see it right here in Revelation. 
See, Revelation was this book that was circulated among seven churches, and finally it gets to Laodicea, and their name's in the book, and they're probably trembling at this point. Man, they wrote something about us, guys. Now, John the Apostle, just to give you some background, John the Apostle, the the beloved uh, disciple of Jesus, he wrote this book, like I said, which uh, circulated amongst these seven churches, and in it we find some solid churches. But in it, we also find some churches like this one that messed up. There's only one church in this book of Revelation that got things right. One church. If you're going through the Revelation study uh, in the men's or women's group, you you know already some uh, familiarity with these seven churches. But uh, in it, we really see that the Laodicea church is the equivalent of a modern-day woke church church verse 14 uh, it says into the angel of the church in Laodicea right so Laodicea is in modern day Turkey there were six Laodicea cities six Laodicea cities Uh, this one in particular was called Laodicea of Lycus Uh, just to distinguish which city it was they tagged on another name to the end of Laodicea. And this city in particular was notable for a number of things. Number one, it was a great banking and financial center. It was one of the wealthiest cities in the world, so wealthy that they counted on their wealth more than they trusted in the Lord. Not only was it a great banking and financial center, it was a great center of clothing manufacture. The sheep that they had there Uh, produced soft, violet, black, and glossy wool. They had it made. They they sold these garments that were amazing. And they had mass production of cheap outer garments. But the Laodiceans were so caught up with their garments that they, they didn't recognize they were naked in the sight of God. Not only that, it was a great medical center. It was known for their ear and eye ointment. That's why Jesus brings up that he would give them salve that would ultimately open their spiritual eyes, that they they would help them to to see, and not only that, but to give them their their, uh, uh, ear ointment so it would help them to hear what he was writing to the church about. But they ultimately banked on this physical healing more than they did anything, and they soon failed to realize that they were spiritually blind. The city of Laodicea, just like every city in the world today, was in great need of Jesus. So, what do you do with a city that has great need of Jesus? You plant a church. And the Laodiceans were greeted by this church, but the church had some problems. Here's the thing about church planting. You don't plant a church just because you feel like it. Don't do that. That's dangerous, very dangerous. You plant a church because God has called you to that city because you have a burden for those people. You plant a church because your heart is heavy for the lost in that city. So to plant and even replant a church is not a job. It is a calling, and it is a hard calling. Uh, Ask Brian and Gina down the street. Listen, I don't know if those in in here are, are considering planting a church or those watching on, online or down the road. But listen, for those of us that want to plant a church or replant a church, be confident in the call of God before you start. 
Know that God has called you to plant a church. Listen, ministry is not for the faint of heart. And so Paul, Paul, John, he writes to the angel of the church. Now, when you think of angel, I'm sure your mind takes you to the big cherubim and the ones with the swords and the, one, the wings, or it might even take you to this other spectrum of, of the scale with the fat baby angel sitting on clouds doing nothing. I don't know where your mind takes you, but both of those are wrong. See, this is a pastor that Paul, uh, why do I keep saying Paul? John, <laughs> John is writing to. See, the Greek word for angel is messenger. Remember that as we studied Revelation? Okay. Or if you look into messenger, the word messenger can be translated into pastor. So this pastor gets a letter, and the letter's not very good. Jesus is basically calling out the church and saying, you guys are screwed up. Let's just put it that way. Jesus was serious about where they were as a church. But it starts with the pastors. It starts with how that pastor was leading the congregation. It was how he was feeding the congregation. It was how he was taking the sheep to the green pastures. But this is implying that he wasn't really doing his job. They were a lukewarm church. See, pastors are called to a high standard as they shepherd the flock of God, but sometimes pastors forget that they are not the chief shepherd. We are the under-shepherds. We are the ones who are still uh, shepherding the flock, but even ourselves are being shepherded. Uh, we need a shepherd just as much as the congregation does. And then he goes on to say, in the rest of verse 14, he says, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, it doesn't take us much to figure out that this is none other but Jesus, no other but Jesus. The Greek word for Amen, faithful and true, is almost the same thing all across the board. It means trustworthy. And so Jesus is saying about himself that he is trustworthy, but he goes on to say that he is a true witness. And witness, the Greek word for witness, means that one who can testify to the truth of what he has seen, heard, and knows. And guess what? Jesus can do that because Jesus is God. And since, God, and Jesus, since Jesus is God, he is all-knowing. He is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. And so he knows what's happening in the life of this church. See, there is a, a huge disappointment when churches and pastors think they can hide their behind-the-scenes stuff from the Lord. You see pastors getting caught up in uh, prostitution and gambling and pornography all the time. And they think that they can get away with it. But I remember what the Bible says, your sin will find you out. See, the pastor does not have authority over the church. Because it's not the pastor's church. It is Jesus' church. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But Jesus also has the authority to either call out a church or commend a church. Why? Like I said, because it's his church. If there was something fishy going on here at Gray Avenue Christian Church, Jesus would and will always have authority to dismantle the one who is leading because it starts with the one in leadership. 
Ultimately, the prayer is that in any church, whether it's here or somewhere else, is that Jesus would bring such a strong conviction to the church about what they were doing and ultimately see the church repent, turn around, change their directions, and get back on, on track with what God has called them to. In verse 15 and 17, Jesus goes on to say, I know your works. You're neither hot nor cold. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Question. Where does the church find its identity? Is it in the building? Is it in the people that come? Is it in the pastor who preaches? Is it in the printer that prints the notes for the preacher to preach? No. It's in Jesus. That's where the church's identity lies, is in Jesus. However, this church was finding its identity in what the culture was doing. It, if there was a woke church in their day, it was this church. It was completely this church. And Jesus says about this church, you are neither hot nor cold. Would you either, would you, were either cold or hot? So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. So here's something you gotta know, know about the city of Laodicea, of Lycus, is that there were two rivers. Uh, they had two rivers that ultimately flowed into one channel through an aqueduct. And one of the rivers was a hot river. It's where they got their hot water, where they could cook and everything. And then they had their cold water. They had their cold river where they could do anything else that they needed to. But the issue was, is when that the hot and cold met together, what happened to that water? It became lukewarm. It became good for really nothing. I mean, they could probably still drink it, but when it's a hot day out and you have lukewarm water, it doesn't taste very good. You want something cold, but then when it's cold out and you drink something that's cold, it's not, it doesn't do what it's supposed to do. You want something hot, something that'll warm you up. And so when Jesus was talking about them being neither hot nor cold, they, their minds would have went directly to these rivers because they had this aqueduct that flowed from it lukewarm water. And so Jesus calls them out and he says, you're exactly like that channel that you have. You're lukewarm. Now, can you imagine for a moment you're getting this letter and you read this and it says, I will spit you out of my mouth. This is Jesus talking about the church. He, he's saying, because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Uh, th that's a nice way of saying it. If you look at the original text, it says he's going to vomit that church out of his mouth. That's the Lord Jesus Christ saying that he's going to vomit, puke, whatever you want to use, <laughs> this church out because of their lukewarmness. Now, can you imagine the Lord saying that to you? Because you are so lukewarm in your walk with me, so lukewarm in your relationship with me, I'm going to spit you out. I, I don't want that. And I hope you don't want that either. Now, imagine reading it. And imagine us coming here together and the letter finally circulates to our church. And I read this from the pulpit. 
And in our modern translation, it might read, your church is making me sick. How would that make you feel? Would you rethink where you are in your relationship with the Lord? The fact that you can even make the Lord sick? I don't want to be a church like that, and I don't want to shepherd a congregation that is lukewarm. The goal is either hot or cold, not lukewarm. And so we have to remember that just because this was written so long ago, it still applies to us today, to the church at large. Now, in a Jewish culture, wine was supposed to be served warm or cold, hot or cold, to the guests. And when, it, uh, when they offered lukewarm wine to the guests, it was an insult. And Jesus was the guest of this church. Jesus uh, was offered lukewarm wine. But the Laodicean church was okay with insulting the person who had authority over the church. They were equivalent of a modern-day woke church. So what are some characteristics of a woke church? Number one, feel-good messages. 2 Timothy 4.3, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. It used to be in pastoral, pastoral searches when a church was looking to hire a pastor that the board and elders' top criteria for somebody to lead their church was that this person could preach the word of God in its entirety. But now people aren't looking for that. People are looking, well, what latest and greatest trend can you bring to our church so we can get numbers, so we can bring in the cash, so we can bring in whatever else? That has become the criteria for the churches. Congregations, unfortunately, want someone who is going to make them feel good. It's almost as if they're saying, don't tell us we're bad. We know we're bad, but we need to feel good. You need to make us feel good. Well, and like I've said before, and I'll say it again, I'm not here to make you feel good. That's not my job. My job is to preach the Word of God in its entirety, even the hard parts, even the parts that you may disagree with, that I may disagree with. And what happens when we come to a part of God's Word that we disagree with? We change our minds, because God's Word is right. See, a woke church is a church that will tell you what you want to hear, but will never tell you what you need to hear. Uh, woke church pastors will tell you, you can have your best life now, or God's desire for you is health, wealth, prosperity. Just give us $2 million to the church and it's yours. Not true. Or if you just name it and claim it, it'll be yours. You've probably heard these things on the TV a time or two. See, oftentimes we see pastors preaching messages that illustrate Jesus as nothing more than the feel-good genie whose only job is to give you what you're looking for. Jesus will provide you with the job. Jesus will provide you with the finances. Jesus will provide you with the blessings. Jesus will provide you with the healing, with the spouse, with the promotion, unless he doesn't. Without a doubt, Jesus can provide all these things. But that doesn't mean he will. See, it's not the job of the pastor to promise things to people that the Bible doesn't. And this might be kind of rough for me to say, but some pastors need to get out of the pulpit. Because they're leading people astray. 
See, a church who is set on proclaiming the gospel as it was meant to be proclaimed will focus on people's brokenness. But they will show you that you don't have to stay in your broken state, that Jesus is healer. He can fix your brokenness. Yeah, we're completely broken and we'll be broken until, until heaven, until eternity. But it doesn't mean we have to continue walking and living in that brokenness 24-7. Because when Jesus comes in, he, he shows you what healing is like, what wholeness is like. Not only that, they'll be focused on showing you your sin. Now, the Word of God exposes a lot. It says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to expose what nothing and no one else can. And so when you get to hard parts like this, where Jesus basically calls out a church and says, you guys are not doing well at all. Like, you are sinning. You are counting on everything but me right now. How do you receive that? And hopefully when a church who is proclaiming the gospel, when they do show you your sin, they'll teach you repentance. A turning around, not doing that sin anymore, not, not, not being in that uh, habitual state of sinning. And from there, they'll continue to point you to Jesus. Because guess what? At the end of the day, the pastor doesn't have all the answers. It's shocking, isn't it? For some of you are like, what? He doesn't? No, I don't. Some of you have more, you, you're a lot older than me, and you've been through more stuff than I have. I know, I know, I just said it. <laughs> I don't. I'm sorry, the weavers know everything. That, is that better? No. A woke church, point number two, will be more concerned with being politically correct than biblically correct. Now, this is the main meat and potatoes of a woke church. Uh, woke means alert to social injustice, especially racism. Uh, you see a lot of churches who are hopping on the bandwagon of BLM, Black Lives Matter, or LG, uh, you fill in the rest of the letters. Um, <laughs> but listen, uh, that's not correct at all. Uh, I, I remember a couple of sermons ago, I had mentioned to you guys that um, there are churches out there who actually stood for LGBTQ+, and, and, and it's not biblical whatsoever. A lot of churches will say, a lot of pastors will preach that, well, Jesus doesn't mention anything about homosexuality. Jesus doesn't mention anything of that nature, so we're to stay silent on it. Wrong. Absolutely wrong. It, Jesus says, this is why a man should leave his father and mother to cling to his wife. Man, woman, father, mother... No confusion in that. Uh, the problem is, is that we get confused. But it, it, it's a church that does not want to offend anyone by saying the wrong thing politically. Uh, we can't say man or woman. We can't say he or she. We can't say boy or girl. Uh, pretty soon we're not even going to be able to say dog or cat. It's going to be pretty bad. <laughs> it may be too offensive. The other day I was on Facebook, and uh, when I was a kids pastor in, in Bayside, I had jumped onto this Facebook group called uh, Kids Ministry. Uh, very creative, I know. Um, but it, it's, where, it's where kids pastors can go on, and they can ask questions, and they can get insight, and on and on and on. 
And so uh, last weekend after service, I had got on and, and uh, this one children's pastor had asked this question, and I want to read it just so I don't mess it up, but it says, I have a very serious question. When teaching children, I often say boys and girls as I speak. Yesterday after our Easter message, a preteen girl from my daughter's school came up to me with a concerned look. She said, just so you know, I am non-binary and go by pronouns, their, they, etc. I just shook my head and, yes, and, and said yes and said, oh, okay. Then she went on to say that I use binary language. It really wasn't the time for me to dig deeper into what she was telling me because her mom was ready to go. My question is, other than speaking the biblical truth in love, what else are you going to do? Speak the biblical truth in love. What are we pastors and children's leaders saying about this? This is my first encounter. I'll be honest. It caught me off guard. And listen to some of the responses to this. I would switch to kids instead of boys and girls. Friends, quote unquote, is my go-to. But I also use everyone and everybody a lot. How about this one? I try to stick with students or youth when I'm referring to a group mostly because it's not the time or place to have the conversation if you cannot have the conversation in church where else are they going to hear the truth that's the only place but I love this one response this person said don't bow to the world keep on loving and preaching the truth and love they are ready for this boys and girls that's what God created them to be. I would explain to the girl that she is one person, singular, and that God created her female. Solid response. See, a woke church isn't just for adults. L listen, the culture is after our kids, and we need to guard them. I'm not talking about putting them in a bubble. They need to experience some things in order to know the right from the wrong. But listen, we need, to, we need to shield them and know that the truth is found in Jesus Christ alone. Whether it's youth or adults, the world around us wants us to play their games. And that's exactly what it is. It is a bunch of games. But listen, for the believer, life is not a game. Life is a matter of eternal separation from God or eternal security in God. That's what life is about. So BLM, LGBTQ, abortion, racism, government, they want us to bow as a church. These political leaders want to change the way that we present the truth. But that's not going to change. At least for this church, we're sticking to what God says in His Word. For some churches, they have allowed the God of government to come and sit on the throne of church. Yet for some churches, they have refused to place anyone or anything else where Jesus rightfully belongs. It's Jesus' church, not man's and not government's. See, the world wants us to tap out. They, they, they want us to say, okay, we'll conform to your image. We'll comply with your orders. We'll do this. We'll do that. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a time and place where we should be submissive to government orders. Uh, don't speed, don't drink and drive, don't do all that stuff, right? We, we, we know, that, but when it comes to some of the stuff that we've been through in the past year, it's time for us to stand, just like Craig said. It is time. 
They want us to tap out and say, okay, we'll conform to the image. But have you read Romans 12 too? Do not copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Have you read that? A woke church, point number three, is materialistic as opposed to heavenly treasures. In verse 17, Jesus says to this church who, remember, was a center for wealth and clothing and medicine. He says to this church, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy for me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Listen, the church had accumulated wealth because of the wool that they were selling. They were, they were a wealthy city and they wanted more of it. See, a woke church will point you to the blessing rather than the blesser. They will point you to the things that you have. Here, here's the thing. Getting more stuff will not get you into heaven. Yet the woke church will try to convince you that if you just get a little bit, give a little bit more, you'll get the top seat in heaven. That kind of sounds like a cult. That if you just give a little bit more, you'll get this Lamborghini you've always wanted. God will bless you with it. If you just get a little bit more, you will get that $12 million house that you, you just so desperately want. Just give a little bit more and all your crazy, wild ideas will come true. No. See, when the pastors who preach this message catch you, your mind shifts from the grace of God in Jesus Christ to the stuff of this world. But the stuff uh, this church had ultimately caused vision problems. It blinded them to the problems they really had, which were not even material problems. It was spiritual problems. They were spiritually blind. Spiritual blindness kept them from having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Point number four, they don't recognize their need for Jesus. A woke church recognizes everything else but Jesus. In this verse, it, it says that they don't have need of anything. They thought they had everything they needed. But Jesus said something profound. He, actually, he said a lot of things that were profound. <laughs> But this one in particular, John 15, 5, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. That is it. If I go outside and I, I, I cut off a limb from a tree, what good is that branch anymore? It's not connected to the tree. It can't grow. It can't do what, it, what it's supposed to do. But when we stay connected to the vine, there's where it makes a difference. We can grow, we can have strength, we can have stability because the stability is not in the branch, but it's in what the branch is connected to. And that's Jesus. So Jesus said, stay connected to me. And when you're connected to him, when you know him as the vine, you'll know him as the source of life, you'll know him as your peace, you'll know him as your strength, and you'll know him as your everything. And so Jesus goes on to say to this church, listen, uh, come buy things from me. I advise you to buy uh, things from me because ultimately coming to me for what you need is where you're going to find ultimate satisfaction. 
See, all the riches that we could ever dream of pale in comparison to the riches that are found in Christ. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays for the church in Ephesus that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of the glorious inheritance of the saints. That was his prayer for the churches, that they would know the riches of Christ, that they would experience that, that they would stop chasing after the things of the world and that they would just look to Jesus for everything. And in verse 19, as we wrap up, Jesus says, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Jesus is saying that if there's no correction to their thinking and living, he was ultimately going to remove their lampstand. The spirit would be taken, and no longer would they be a church that would be spirit-led. They would be a church that was dark and headed for doom. Yet Jesus is saying before that happens, let's just repent. Let's turn around. Let's change directions. But it also needs to be noted that when discipline happens, it's not for the sake of it just happening. It's for the sake of God's love towards us. Because God loves us, He corrects us. So listen to this. Just because there are a lot of people at church doesn't mean the church is healthy. Just because it may have a large elder team doesn't mean the elders are healthy. Just because the people are coming to church to fill up the seats doesn't mean they are spiritually healthy. Some of the largest churches in the world are those who present a watered-down gospel message that puts stuff at the helm of the church Listen, we need churches and pastors and ministry leaders that will preach the unadulterated gospel message in its entirety. We don't need anything else. The church needs Jesus. So Jesus is speaking to a woke church in verse 20. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and him with me. Jesus is not knocking on the door out of desperation. He is not saying, please, please, please let me in. I'm so desperate for you. We should be desperate for him. We should be opening the door to him because of who he is. So let him in. Jesus is in this church. We've already invited him in. This is his place. This is his building. This is his preschool. Everything that is here is his. It's not yours and it's not mine. It's his. And whatever he wants to do through and in this place, he will do. He has full reign to do just whatever he wants to do. And the minute somebody tries to stop him, be careful. So the church today... It doesn't need any more lights. It doesn't need fog machines. It does not need a pastor who only preaches feel-good messages. The church today needs to invite Jesus in and let him take control. And when he does, transformation begins to take place. And maybe today you're like the church of Laodicea. You're super religious. You love your stuff. But you really haven't invited Jesus in. To transform you. Listen, the same offer that he gave to the church of Laodicea, he gives to us today. He stands at the door and he knocks. And he says, if you let me in, we'll eat together. 
But many of us have closed that door, and that door remains closed because we can't let go of our stuff. We can't let go of our pride. See, Jesus stands at the door, and he offers you life, forgiveness, peace, joy, strength, everything you need. So it only makes sense to let him in. He died on the cross for you. Got up from the grave and is coming back. Is that not enough? He died for the sins of the world. So listen, let him in. Let him in today and watch your life become completely transformed. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your gentle rebuke, Lord. Maybe some of us this morning are seriously thinking maybe we're lukewarm. Maybe we've been so caught up with the stuff that we have or getting more stuff or, or, or not even looking at our need for Jesus because we have everything we need, like, like the Laodiceans said. Maybe there's somebody in here today that has come to this place where they can no longer be lukewarm. God, I pray that they would let you in, that they would surrender their life to you, and that they would know that once they do, that their sins are forgiven, that there's a new start, that there's a sanctification process that begins. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Lord, if there's anyone in here that needs to accept you, I pray that they would do that today or even watching on the live stream. So Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, we pray that you would help us to be a church that is on fire for you. Lord, thank you for your great love for us and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.